0: welcome welcome welcome. i would like to welcome you to episode 379 of the unpopular podcast this is the man the myth the legend Jalen hunter and here at the unpopular podcast i really ask you to agree with me i'm asking you to hear me out the question of the day is how can you tell if a team has plateaued or how can you tell if a team has reached its ceiling there's a there's a couple signs that you can that that are tall tale signs that, yeah, this team may not be able to go as high as possible. Or, this team has reached its limit. Every team has a limit. And every team has a ceiling. Now, as we've expressed on numerous occasions, every ceiling is not the same. Every ceiling is not the same height. The Kansas City Chiefs ceiling is not the same ceiling as, let's say, the Chicago Bears. It's it's just what what your team is capable of and have you reached that goal. Of course we're going to break down week ten of the NFL season and I have to start with the Broncos beating the Buffalo Bills twenty four to twenty two. I started this episode with that question as far as how do you know if or how do you know if a team has reached a ceiling? I look solely at this Buffalo Bills team, and to me, it's it's more evident week after week that this team has hit its ceiling. Now, the unfortunate part about that is the ceiling shouldn't be where it is. And when you have this collection of talent and you have this collection of, of, This experience, you have people on this team that have been and won Super Bowls and won Super Bowl MVPs. You expect the ceiling for a team like the Buffalo Bills to be a lot higher than it is. But it goes back to my first question. How do you know if a a team has reached the ceiling? One way that you can know is year after year, the same or close to the same things happen to a team like the buffalo bills year after year they've gotten to the you know the playoffs they gotten to the second round of the playoffs and they've ultimately lost a team that has someone like stephon diggs that has someone like josh allen continues to get at least to the playoffs and get to the second round but they they hit it they hit a wall Another reason or another way that you know if a team has hit its ceiling is the way you criticize the team. And, the, and, and listen to your criticisms. If your criticisms are the same year after year after year, that's a tall tale sign that the team that you're criticizing has probably hit the magnum opus of their ability i come in here we come in here year after year week after week and talk about the bills it's sort of like like a mountain you have heights you have wow this bills team can beat any team they beat the the dolphins they have a top 5 to top 10 quarterback in Josh Allen. They have a top 5 to top 10 wide receiver in Stephon Diggs. They have all the pieces and components to win a Super Bowl. But then the next week, they lost to a then 3-5 and Denver Broncos team. And Josh Allen continues to throw interceptions. And for some reason they don't target Stefan Diggs as much as they should it is a roller coaster just talking about and describing the buffalo bills and i think a lot of that is because of expectations you see talent breeds expectations as well there should there is no question that Josh Allen is a talented quarterback. There is no question that if we talk about sheer talent, Josh Allen is a top-tier quarterback. With the way that he throws the ball, the way that he is able to use his legs, his his body type is able to absorb a lot of hits. So he he's able to use his frame to get to point A to point B. Better than a lot of quarterbacks, and at times he rivals anybody that he's going against as far as the quarterback position. Just, just because of how talented he is. But Josh Allen, now that I'm really sitting here talking about it, Josh Allen is the perfect quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, because the same way that you we talk about the Buffalo Bills and as a, like a roller coaster is exactly what josh allen is they say this all the time and if you want proof if you want a clear-cut proof of what what it is look at the buffalo bills what they say is your team embodies the personality the charisma the swagger of your of your quarterback Every single time we talk about Josh Allen, we talk about him sort of like a roller coaster. At his height, he is obviously a top-tier quarterback. But then you still have those games like we had Monday night where he throws two interceptions. And the team as a whole has, what, four turnovers. Somebody compared Josh Allen to Brett Favre. And I think that is nearly spot on. Because Brett Favre's entire career was a roller coaster ride. Because you know he'll give you. Three four hundred yard games, but it'll also and three or four touchdowns, but it'll also give you three or four interceptions, like head scratching interceptions. Another question that has been talked about over the last few years is is the Buffalo Bills window closed, Super Bowl window closed? And I think that shouldn't be the question. I don't think, to be honest with you, now that I'm really sitting here thinking about it, and I'm sitting here looking at how they lose every single year, and I'm looking at how there's a pattern with this team. And that pattern isn't a pattern of of traits that can lead to a championship. I think I've been looking at this completely wrong. The question has been is the Super Bowl window closed for the Buffalo Bills? And as I'm sitting here today, and obviously hindsight is 2020, I don't know if that window has ever been open. I hear it now I hear people typing away because uh, calm down. How has a window been open if Josh Allen, and this Buffalo Bills team has been the same exact type team and it's lost the same exact way. I hear what I, I hear myself talking, and I hear what can be construed from what I'm saying. I'm I hear that people can take what I'm saying as Josh Allen's trash, or this Buffalo Bills team is not good. That is not true at all. This Buffalo Bills team is extremely good. Josh Allen is extremely good. That's probably the most frustrating part about this entire topic because they're, 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 their ceiling should be a Super Bowl. But again, in the same breath, you also can see how they've lost time and time again. And they've lost the same way time and time again. You've gone up to the playoffs, and you've gone against a quarterback that a lot of people think Josh Allen should be their contemporary, and they ultimately lose, whether that's Joe Burrow, whether that's uh, Patrick Mahomes. Josh Allen is talked about in the same breath with those quarterbacks. Yet and still, when you go up against them in the biggest moments, i.e. the playoffs, you lose. Now I know. I know that the Buffalo Bills are riddled with injuries. Jadavious White. You have Milano, he's out. It seemed like almost every other play, another player was getting hurt for the Buffalo Bills on Monday night. So I understand That health plays a big part, especially in football. And especially when we talk about winning. But but even with me saying that, as fortunate as it is, that is also a recurring topic when we talk about the Buffalo Bills every year. Whether that's Von Miller getting hurt. Or their running back getting hurt. Or... A defensive player getting hurt, Poyer or, or Hyde. It it's always a thing. You can get to the coaching. Ken Dorsey was fired, and I understand why Ken Dorsey was fired. But I also understand why Ken Dorsey was fired. Let me let me explain. Ken Dorsey, I, the one of the complaints that we've seen yearly about the Buffalo Bills is their lack of attention when it comes to the running game, and how the running game is a clear cut set of clear cut second option if that makes sense like it's not a priority that's it it's a clear cut non priority for the buffalo bills the problem is when you have a quarterback like josh allen who is as talented as he is you expect him to be superman every single week and as we've seen he's unable to in in clutch crunch situations and you've had Devin Singletary, who isn't a primary, like a premier back, but he is serviceable. You've had him. You you have now James Cook. And they have yet to focus on the running game. I know that it's kind of tough talking about it now, seeing as though Monday night, James Cook did have 12 carries for 109 yards. But those type of games are anomalies when we talk about the. Buffalo Bills offensive approach in general. So in that sense, I get it. You're kind of putting your quarterback in a bad situation week after week when you expect him to be Superman. But uh, And how Josh Allen has pretty much been everything for this offense as far as he's been their best running back. He's been their best quarterback, obviously. Just that's just how it's it's been played out. So in that sense, I understand why Ken Dorsey has his time there is probably expired as has expired. Obviously he got fired. And on top of that, yeah, Having a poor coaching staff definitely affects the ceiling of a team. There's a lot of people that think that Sean McDermott is not the option. Obviously, Ken Dorsey was relieved of his duties. But let's not get it twisted here. Ken Dorsey is not the reason why Josh Allen for nearly every single year of his career outside of I think one or two has led the league in interceptions. Ken Dorsey is not the reason that Josh Allen has regressed back to the Josh Allen that we've seen before Sean, I mean, that we saw before Brian Dayball who obviously is not there. Ken Dorsey is not the reason That this offense, even though he obviously was the offensive coordinator, he's not the reason why this offense sputters when Josh Allen can't throw the ball or doesn't throw the ball. Ken Dorsey isn't the reason that, for some reason, Josh Allen does not target Stephon Diggs as much as he should. Because... Ken Dorsey was there when Josh Allen first got, of course, Stefan Diggs, and he was clearly the primary target. When teams have unrealistic expectations, they do anything to try to hold on to those expectations. And once those expectations are not realized, They have to figure out why those expectations aren't met. And a lot of times, most of the times, somebody has to fall on the sword. It just so happened to be Ken Dorsey. Because two things can be true. And two things are true. The Buffalo Bills are much more talented than their 5 and 5 record but in the same breath they are as talented as their 5 and 5 record before i go to discuss the broncos for a second let me fully address josh allen You know what Josh Allen reminds me of the most attractive woman or man whatever however you roll but for me the most attractive woman in the world like she is stunning if she puts on the right fit There's nothing you can tell me. She is the most gorgeous woman in the world. But in the same breath, that woman has a terrible attitude. And that woman treats people bad. Less than. She treats people less than. Most beautiful woman in the world. And if she doesn't open her mouth, she might be perfect. But when she opens her mouth, ah, and she starts treating people badly, she starts talking down on people, She starts complaining about everything, that's when you see the true colors. Josh Allen is a beautiful car. Josh Allen, at, at his... At his best, he is a beautiful car. Josh Allen is on the outside and at times a top tier sports car. But a sports car that is missing a left seat or passenger seat or missing a brake or or missing something. I think t- Josh Allen has the ability to be a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. But I also understand that Josh Allen is Josh Allen's biggest problem. We're going to talk about the Chargers in a second and how my perception of the Chargers have sort of changed. Sometimes you can blame a coaching staff or a coordinator for the regression of a player. That cannot be said for Josh Allen because Josh Allen has been the same way his entire career. So expecting him to do something different at this point would kind of be asinine, especially when we see how long he's been in the league. And the fact of... Only one year, he's been good with not turning the ball over. The last thing I'll say about the Bills is, (laughs) they ask, is the window closed? And as I sit here and really look at the last few years and how the Buffalo Bills have looked the same the last few years, whether the highs have been extremely high, the lows have been extremely low for the last few years, I question to myself, has, was there ever a championship window Or were we just masquerading? Or were the Bills just masquerading as a Super Bowl caliber team? When in all actuality, they were just a pretty good team that just had a lower ceiling that we wanted to, or that we missed. Who knows? And on the flip side... The Denver Broncos obviously won this game, and I think they're on a winning streak at this point. They did beat the Chiefs, and now they've beat the Bills. When they hired Sean Payton, they didn't hire Sean Payton to fix just Russell Wilson. They hired Sean Payton to fix the team and what it seems like is it seems like things are coming through it seems like the personality of Sean Payton it seems like the ideologies of Sean Payton it seems like the heart of Sean Payton is now being permeated throughout the the Denver Broncos and you can just see that they're better than they were not just last year but the beginning of the year. I say this a lot. We're going to talk about James Harden and the Clippers later down later in this episode, but things take time things sometimes things take time take longer than you expected and when you have someone like a sean payton and you have such a strong personality coming into an organization that isn't used to that type of coaching and isn't used to that type of energy it's, sometimes it takes a little longer to adjust. Sometimes it takes a little longer for the stars to get it. Sometimes it takes a little longer just for the team as in general to come on for the ride. And while no, I'm not saying that the Denver Broncos are now world beaters. I'm not saying that the Denver Broncos are now Super Bowl caliber contenders. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is... Their defense has looked much better in the last few weeks. Russell Wilson has looked much better in the last few weeks. Not saying he's the Russell Wilson of old, but he has looked much better. This offensive line has looked much better. Even though they still a little iffy, they look much better. The run game looks much better. Everything looks much better. Now, again, I'm not putting them on the same level as a, you know, Super Bowl caliber team, but I'm giving credit where credit is due. Sean Payton has come and changed this team. I'm And I'm not saying that Russell Wilson will still be here next year. I'm not saying that there still won't be sweeping changes this offseason. But what I am saying is you're seeing the reason why the Denver Broncos brought Sean Payton. It just took a lot longer than most people, including myself, thought it would. So shouts out to the Denver Broncos for beating the Buffalo Bills 24-22. to 22. In sports media, criticism is a thing that you welcome yourself to as a player, as a team, as an organization. The same amount of... If you are open in accepting to praise, you should be open in accepting to criticism. That's just what happens when you put something out there for public specter. And obviously... All criticism isn't the same, and people's criticism vary. There's a lot of things that go into criticism, which is why the phrase pretty much comes in that you have to sort out the meat from the bones. Because my criticism me. I'm speaking for myself. My criticism for the Washington Commanders is going to be much different than my criticism for the Dallas Cowboys because I'm a Washington Commanders fan. My criticism for say Allen Iverson is going to be much different than my criticism for I don't know. Kyrie Irving because I'm a Allen Iverson fan. The Cleveland Browns beat the Baltimore Ravens 31, or 33 to 31. Baltimore was up, had like a 14-point lead, and they had, I think, a double-digit lead going into the fourth quarter, and just everything fell apart from... The offense slowing down to Marlon Humphreys getting hurt. Lamar Jackson throwing a pick six. And ultimately, the Browns won, obviously. And it's been very interesting, eye-opening. I'm still trying to find the right way to describe it. But it's been very interesting listening and watching the criticism of Lamar Jackson. Because I feel like Lamar Jackson is one of two quarterbacks in this league that the pendulum swings so drastically for week after week. I think Lamar Jackson's one and Dak Prescott's another. Because when Lamar Jackson does good, but Lamar Jackson does great when Lamar Jackson puts on a really good performance. then he is a top tier quarterback and Lamar Jackson is an MVP candidate, MVP front runner or Lamar Jackson is and this Ravens team is a Super Bowl caliber team uh, oh, and Lamar Jackson is a top tier quarterback. But then when they lose games like this, then people start putting in the fact of Lamar Jackson has, I think, like 10 touchdowns for the year, like five interceptions. Or the fact that Lamar Jackson only has, what, one playoff win. Or the fact of Lamar Jackson, I think, is amongst the league leaders, leaders in fourth quarter fumbles or turnovers or something like that. All of which are true, but are just never talked about in wins. I'll say this. I'm going to be as fair as I can be for Lamar Jackson and his Baltimore Ravens team. I know coming into the season, I not only picked Lamar Jackson to win his second MVP, but I picked the Baltimore Ravens, to ultimately win the Super Bowl. And I'm not going to let one loss, because right now they're still number one in the AFC North, which makes Thursday's game against the Bengals monumental... I'm not going to throw away the Ravens after one loss, especially against a divisional opponent against the number one ranked defense in the Cleveland Browns. But I will say this about Lamar Jackson. Is Lamar Jackson a good quarterback, great quarterback? Yes, I think he is a great, phenomenal quarterback. But I do think that there are areas that he needs to improve. And I do think that if he does not improve those areas, it drastically affects the outcome of the Baltimore Ravens and their Super Bowl chances. I mean, as we sit here today, they are seven and three. So it's not like they're just trash. But Lamar Jackson does have an issue with fourth quarter turnovers or fourth quarter fumbles, fourth quarter interceptions. And I think a lot of that is just due to the fact of a lot of his games are close. And once your the games are close, everything needs to be on a string. Your offensive line, your quarterbacks, your wide receivers, your tight ends, your running backs, everything, your coaching, everything has to be on the line. And if one thing is off, it affects the entire motion now sometimes that thing can be the offensive line sometimes that thing can be Lamar Jackson sometimes it can be uh the numerous drops that we've seen all year from the wide receivers sometimes it can be a fumble issue with the running backs it, it everything needs to be on a string Lamar Jackson has not been the best in fourth quarters and I think that this defense is still great. I'm not going to. I I will. It is. It does suck that you obviously lost to a team that you were up double digits. But. This is the AFC North, which, in my opinion, and if you look at the record, is the best division in football. And it's not like they lost to a scrub. They lost to the Browns, that a lot of people had coming into this season playoff aspirations, which obviously they are in the playoffs right now. If you if the playoffs are today, they're six and three. They'd be in the playoffs. But this this criticism thing, I think people are again. I don't know why it is, but when we talk about Lamar Jackson, when we talk about Dak Prescott, people are hyper sensitive to what they're currently seeing and just completely forget about what we've seen or what they do is they like to strengthen and, or strengthen and, they like to strengthen their arguments with things that have happened in the past and disregard other things. Like, for instance, they'll look at this game. And I actually heard this, too. I'm not singling out Shannon Sharp, but this was a Shannon Sharp take. take. Lamar Jackson is not good in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson has not been good all year. Lamar Jackson has been... Now, Shannon Sharp didn't say this last one, but I have heard this. Lamar Jackson has been more of a problem for the Ravens than than a solution, especially when we talk about the fourth quarter. I've heard all that in the last few days since Lamar Jackson has lost to the Browns, and people are gonna. People have said, "Okay, well, again, he only has ten touchdowns of five interceptions." Uh, Lamar Jackson has. I think he is amongst the league leaders in fumbles in the fourth quarter. So people if they want to speak ill on somebody or speak ill on Lamar Jackson in his game, they'll they'll find the fuel. They won't say anything about the fact that Lamar Jackson Leads, I think he was leading the league, at least going to last year, last week, he was leading the league in completion percentage. Or the fact of he's leading the best division, or he has the Ravens at the number one spot in the best division in football, which is the AFC North. Or the fact that he has beaten Joe Burrow already. He has beaten this Browns team already. Or the fact of he is destroying, they're destroying teams Where we talk about the Lions. So it's it's just always interesting when people build up a case for somebody. Build up a case for somebody. And what they decide to exclude and what they decide to include. I think that we need to be... I'm not going to say honest because i'm not saying people are lying but i think that we need to when we're going to criticize somebody and when we are going to praise anybody it's it's not just for negative we need to tell the whole story we need if we're going to talk about lamar jackson struggles in the fourth well we can talk about how there's been multiple games where his wide receivers have dropped touchdown passes or we can talk about the fact that his offensive line, like Stanley, he has not been good. And while, yes, he is one of – he has some of the most fumbles in the league in the fourth quarter, he's also one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the fourth quarter. So, and on the, on the Cleveland Browns side, man, this – yo – This is the Deshaun, we saw a glimpse of it, and I think it's so interesting when you look at this game how much of a difference Deshaun Watson made and looked like from the first half to the second half. It kind of felt like on the same level of Trevor Lawrence when, he was going against the Chargers in the playoffs and how he had like four interceptions the first half and the second half, he was like Tom Brady in his prime. That's kind of what it felt like for Deshaun Watson these Cleveland Browns. Now, no, he didn't throw four interceptions. He wasn't that bad, but he was not good at all. In fact, in the fourth quarter, Deshaun Watson went 14 for 14. For the entire game, he went 20 for 34, meaning that for the entire game, excluding the fourth quarter, Deshaun Watson was like six for 24 or 20, six for 20 passing the ball. That fourth quarter, you saw a glimpse of not only the Deshaun Watson that we've seen and know about in Houston, but the Deshaun Watson that they gave all that money to. I'm sure the Cleveland Browns hope that that performance was a linchpin to the the, the Deshaun Watson that they need. Because I've talked about this on several occasions. This defense is a Super Bowl caliber defense. They just need their offense to catch up. And it's taken a lot longer, kind of like Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos, it's taken a lot longer for Deshaun Watson to get any resemblance of what they paid for compared to what they've got or what they need from him. So I'm not going to go as far as saying that the old Deshaun Watson is back. But what I will say is that fourth quarter looked eerily similar to the Deshaun Watson that we have grown, that we grew accustomed seeing in Houston. And if they get that Deshaun Watson, this team with Elijah Moore and even with Nick Chubb being out, you still have Kareem Hunt. This team is a Super Bowl caliber team mainly because of that defense and the fact that they have an MVP candidate on the defensive side of the ball that is Miles Garrett. So I'm not going to take much away from... Actually, I'm not going to completely trash the Ravens because they lost to a good team. Yes, I understand that. Obviously, they were up big. They lost to a good team. And I'm also not going to... Just go and say that Deshaun Watson's back. I need to see more. But that fourth quarter, we saw a flash of the old Deshaun Watson. So we'll see. Let's move forward. I think people are hesitant to... Let me let me let me put this. How am I going to frame this? People are are hesitant to accept what they're seeing, especially if what they're seeing a is not what they're used to, and b is not what they expected. We are seeing, at least this year, we are seeing a top five quarterback in CJ Stroud. We're seeing an MVP candidate in CJ Stroud. And to me, we're seeing the clear cut offensive rookie in the, of the year in CJ Stroud. I don't remember, I don't even know if this ever happened, but I don't remember, or I don't know, let me say that. In fact, I'm not going to look it up. I don't remember the last time a rookie has won the MVP. I'm sure it's happened before, but I just don't know when. And I'm also not saying that CJ Stroud is the front runner for the MVP, but he is definitely in the conversation. The Houston Texans beat the Cincinnati Bengals 30 to 27. The question is what what factors or what signs do I see that I, that for me determine if you're a good or if you're not only a franchise quarterback, but if you have star-like qualities. Because every quarterback in this league can throw. I'm not saying they throw the same. <laughs> Let's not hear that. I'm not saying that every quarterback throws the same. But what I am saying is every quarterback in the NFL can throw the ball. Every quarterback in the NFL is at least decent. Decent. Zach Wilson might not be good, but he's at least decent. So I'm not going to say that you it's it's I don't measure how you throw the ball. I think there's obviously a lot of things that I look at. But the biggest thing is how do you compose yourself? How do you fare when you're trailing? How are you able to put the team on your back and lead your team to victory or at least put your team in the best position to win? That is my question with quarterbacks. What do you look like when your team needs you the most? Are you able to rise the occasion and and look superior, look. Different from the fray or do you just squat or fail in them situations one of the one of the biggest reasons why i feel cj stroud not only this isn't a fluke to me this year i'm not saying that cj stroud is going to be a top tier quarterback for his entire career i'm not even saying that C.J. Stroud is going to be a top five quarterback for his entire career. But one reason why I feel that this season is not a fluke, that, I, that he is going to be this good, if not better, for the majority of his career is because of not only the poise, but the poise when they're down. This Cincinnati Bengals and Houston Texans game kept going back and forth. And yes, there were interceptions. I know C.J. Stroud threw one. I know Joe Burrow threw two. But C.J. Stroud threw an interception late in the fourth quarter, gave Cincinnati Bengals the ball back after C- after Joe Burrow threw an interception, and. The Cincinnati Bengals were marching down the field, and yes, I do think that if if Tyler Boyd would have caught the clear-cut touchdown, they would have won the game, but he dropped the ball in the end zone, which is very uncharacteristic of Tyler Boyd, but it happened, which they settled for a field goal, which tied the game. And I think there was like a minute and 30 seconds left. And the reason why I know that this isn't a fluke, and the reason why I know that C.J. Stroud is as good as projected is because of the feeling that I had. When I saw that C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans were getting the ball back with like a minute and 30 seconds. That feeling that I had was, damn. You left too much time on the clock for CJ Stroud. That's the same thing, the same feeling that I've had with, let's say, Aaron Rodgers in late game situations. Uh, Drew Brees back in the day in late game situations. Tom Brady in late game situations. Someone like Patrick Mahomes in late game situations. I said to myself, and I said out loud too, I said, yeah, that's, that's a lot of time for CJ Stroud because he's done it. CJ Stroud has statistically, not only been one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but been one of the best crunch time quarterbacks as a rookie on a team that nobody had expectations for. Especially at least this year, because they're so young. Which is one of the biggest reasons why I have D'Amico Ryans, at least at this point as coach of the year. Because this not only is this Texans team good, but they have a shot of winning the afc south over the jaguars which we'll talk about in a second cj stroud is that dude bro and it it the texans have found their franchise quarterback And it was so, it was crazy to me, in a good way, but it was so crazy and so shocking, the feeling of calmness I had watching that game, knowing that the game was tied at 27, and CJ Stroud had the ball, and everything in me thought to myself, they're about to win this game. You don't usually feel that way for a rookie. A rookie doesn't usually instill that level of of comfort in in a fan in a team that we have a minute and 30. Rookies aren't supposed to know what to do. I know you run two-minute drill and, and practice and everything, but that two-minute drill is much different in the in the game. Rookies are not supposed to be as poised and not supposed to demand respect as much as CJ Stroud does. Shouts out to him, man. And shouts out to the Texans. They have been a pleasant surprise this year. And To me, they have been the team to watch. And C.J. Stroud, I agree with someone like Darren Orlowski that says that he has catapulted himself not only as a clear-cut Offensive Rookie of the Year candidate, but an MVP candidate. And for the Cincinnati Bengals, man, I said this, I predicted this, that they were going to lose this game, seeing as though T. Higgins wasn't there. Uh, Jamar Chase, he was kind of injured, but Jamar Chase had himself a game. Jamar Chase, five receptions for 124 yards, so that injury didn't really affect him that much. I think the biggest problem with this Bengals team is, for lack of a better term, the same problem that I have with the Buffalo Bills right now, and that is they are too reliant on Joe Burrow. Now, I'm not going to sit here and be hypocritical and say that, yes, Joe Burrow is a top-tier quarterback in the league, and, Joe Burrow, for a lot of people, including me at times, I think he's probably the second best quarterback in the league. But I also understand the dynamic of balance and also understand the importance of having a balanced attack. And. Obviously, things high in size 2020, I talked about this before, but. This conversation would probably be much different if Tyler Boyd would have caught the ball. But to have someone like Joe Mixon, who is a very good running back, to only carry the ball 11 times, is when you have Joe Burrow, who might—I understand that I think he's fully back from injury, but this is the same Joe Burrow that dealt with a hamstring injury coming into the season and majority of the beginning of the season— to have him throw 40 times and... Well, yes, he did three. He was going off. Don't get me wrong. And again, this conversation would probably be much different if Tyler Boyd would have caught the ball in the end zone and not dropped it. But to get 11 carries from Joe Mixon is like, come on. And this defense has been great except for today. Or except for Sunday. So... I don't I think that which was what really is is hurting the Cincinnati Bengals is just how good the division is for the AFC North. Again, that is the best division in football if we look today that the the, but the Bengals that have all, as much talent as they have is last in the NFC, AFC North. They're last place with all that talent at 5 and 4. The same five and four Texans, I think, are second in the AFC South. So what I'm saying is, man, if any, if any given year, man, five and four wouldn't be a death sentence. But right now, that's why Thursday night football, the Ravens and the Bengals is extremely important for both teams. If it for the Ravens, you essentially lock up the AFC North. Yeah, you still have to, I think, play the um Steelers again, but you've already played the Browns twice. You've already played the Bing- well, you will play the Bengals twice. You just have the Steelers. And on top of that they don't have. They have a tough schedule, but but this this stretch right here is is you know, to having to play the number one defense in in football on a Sunday and then Thursday go up against Joe Burrow and Jamar chasing them, and I think they're getting. I'm sure they're getting back T Higgins, so it's just dire, bro. You, the the last thing the Ravens want to do is have to fight their way to get into the playoffs, especially after majority of the year being the number one team in the AFC North and for the Cincinnati Bengals, if they lose, they go to what Owen and, and four in the division. Or Owen yeah, Owen four, I think, in the division. And that and that to me is a death sentence as far as their chances to making it to the playoffs. And who would have thought you know, the Cincinnati Bengals coming to the year a lot of people had at least making it to the Super Bowl might not even make the playoffs Thursday night is, is probably the most important game of the season for both teams right now and a lot of that was caused by Sunday the Ravens losing to the Browns and the Bengals losing to the Texans so we will see what happens Last episode, I talked about pivoting. And I talked about how important it is to never be the last person to pivot. Because there are a lot of times when we talk about Super Bowl. We talk about Super Bowl caliber or we talk about Super Bowl windows and how Super Bowl windows open and close. Pivot windows open and close now you can pivot at any time let's let let me explain you can pivot at any time but the the course to the most success there's a window there and if you don't pivot at the right time that that window closes and a lot of times that window never opens up again so As an organization, as a player, as a team, you have to know when to pivot. Because there are times when you hold on for too long and you never get back there. You want want a perfect example of that? The Washington Wizards. The Washington Wizards, for years, should have been pivoted. The Washington Wizards were always that team that was way too good for a high, dra- a high draft pick, but not nearly as good enough to contend for NBA Finals. So they would always find, they, they, were, they had exciting teams. You had John Wall, you had Crom Butler, you had Antoine Jamison, you had Brandon Hayward, you had Bradley Beal. They had interesting teams, but they never were really there. They were always they were just a middle-of-the-pack team. And there were multiple instances where the window was right there to pivot, whether that was when they gave up John Wall or John Wall got hurt or Bradley Beal was at the height, you know, leading the league and scoring two years in a row, which means his value would never be higher than it was then. There were so many instances where the Washington Wizards should have pivoted They didn't. They kept holding on to, we have Bradley Bill, we have John Wall, we have Rui Hachimura, we have all these players. We're we're, going to break through when everyone else but them knew what their ceiling was and how they just kept hitting their ceiling. And their ceiling wasn't as high as they thought it was. So it took them forever to pivot. And now, and we'll talk about the Wizards a little later, now you look, and the Wizards are in a much different state than they thought they would be at this exact time. And they had a shot of being in a much better state if they would have pivoted sooner. I'm saying all this because I'm looking at the New England Patriots. The Indianapolis Colts beat the Patriots 10 to 6. So it was a very ugly game to watch. Gardner Minshew finished with 194 yards, 18 for 28, no touchdowns, one interception. Back Jones finished 15 for 20, 0, I mean 170 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. I talk about pivoting. This is the moment where I'm not going to say rock bottom because it, it can. there's still multiple games left in the season. I'm not going to say rock bottom. But this is the point where you have to know, okay, we have to pivot. And that is the New England Patriots. Do you A get off of like do you at this point you're two and eight. You're not doing anything. You're you're not competing for a championship. You're not competing for anything. So and Mac Jones has been has regressed mightily. Mac Jones is at the point where he doesn't even look like a, a serviceable backup quarterback. So do you let Bailey Zappi finish out the season? What do you do with Bill Belichick? I'm not saying that you fire him mid season. That's just not the Patriots way, but do you do you really trust Bill Belichick with a top five pick? Especially if you don't see him in your future moving forward. The bill, the the New England Patriots. People still have their Tom Brady, Bill Belichick blinders on. And this team is far from that. This team is arguably the worst team in football on a lot of levels. And a, and. Probably the number one level is their quarterback. And how Mac Jones is not it. I understand that they don't have the... the They don't have a bevy of talent. I know you have uh, Stevenson. You have Ezekiel Elliott. You have Mike Isecki. He's cool. Hunter Henry. So I, I know you don't have the the slew of talent, but... A lot of that is due to front office decisions. The The Patriots are not good at all. And I think that if it was... I don't... I, don't, I think Mac Jones, in my opinion, has played, uh, for this season, uh, barring some type of injury. I think Mac Jones, if I was making the call, Mac Jones would have started his last game, at least this year, for the New England Patriots. He yo, Gardner Minshew could not score a touchdown. The Colts, the Patriots held the Colts to 10 points, and they lost. And and it's and don't get me wrong. When I say hold, held them to ten points, it's not because the Colts were just that good of a defense. Their, their defense is good. Don't get me wrong, but that was just a bad game, a game that was up in the air majority of the game game until Bailey's no until Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi pretty much effectively ended the game with interceptions. Yeah man, if I was making the decision And this is just me Mac Jones would not start Another game unless barring injury Would not start another game this year for me If I was the front office Of the New England Patriots Because he has shown That he is clearly not a At least at this point in his career Is not a starting caliber NFL quarterback So Let's move forward (laughs) <laughs> you know the importance, you can tell the importance of momentum and the importance of streaks, right? I went, going into the game, the San Francisco 49ers and Jacksonville Jaguars. I not only said that the Jaguars to me were the sixth best team in football, but I also did project them to lose because the, while yes, the 49ers were coming off bye week, they're also coming off three straight losses. And I think they understand how important it is. And I said this the 49ers understand how important it is not to get to four losses, four straight losses, because. That I'm not gonna say that pretty much essentially puts you in a dogfight to make the playoffs because moving forward, I mean the the Seahawks have an easier schedule than the 49ers, so and then all the criticism, all the complaints, all the question marks surrounding Brock Purdy would just flood the team even more than it's been with a three-game losing streak. So I predicted that the 49ers were going to beat the Jaguars. What I, what I didn't predict is they were going to destroy the Jacksonville Jaguars. The 49ers beat the Jaguars 34-3. to This, you can just tell from the start that one of these teams were more was more motivated than the other. Now of course every team is motivated to win, but the 49ers were playing for something. It it just looked like it. It's just like Jesus Christ. They were it was it was crazy. It was crazy. And the 49ers on Sunday looked like the best team in football. That's the that's the thing that I'm saying. T- and of course, you got back Trent uh Brock Purdy got back Trent Williams. They got back Debo Samuels. Again, it doesn't negate the criticism that we've had for Brock Purdy. It kind of justifies it to an extent because Brock Purdy was incredible. 19 for 26, 296 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And what we've been saying majority This year is when Brock Purdy has all His pieces when when the team Is whole when you have a Trent Williams When you have a Debo Samuels when you Have everyone healthy This team looks He looks drastically Better And that's what you had Christian McCaffrey I I don't think he ended his NFL or No he ended his touchdown streak I think it was 17 games but He rushed for 95 yards. George Kittle had three receptions for 116 yards. Brandon Ayuk had 55 yards. It's it's just, when healthy, this team, the 49ers, is arguably the best team in football. And when healthy, it is unarguable that Brock Purdy is much better than when one or two pieces are out. And uh, it 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 the 49ers is not a team that you want to see in the playoffs, especially if they are perfectly healthy. Because the team that we saw on Sunday is the team that a lot of people, including myself, think is good enough to at least make it to a Super Bowl even with the question marks that we have with Brock Purdy they have so much around them and they are so well coached that it doesn't matter it just doesn't and for the Jaguars the same exact issues that I talked about last episode I'm going to drop a I'm going to drop a reel about the Jaguars like on TikTok and Instagram. I'm going to drop that soon, but one thing I said was this Jaguars team is a Super Bowl-caliber team. They just have one thing that holds them back drastically, and that is their turnovers. And as we saw on Sunday, it, it rares ugly head again. Trevor Lawrence had 185 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Like, it, it's... Christian uh, Christian Kirk had a fumble, like, and Trevor Lawrence, I think, had a fumble as well. So this team is, we kind of talk about it with the Bills. Man, I feel like I'm kind of piling on the Bills this episode. But no, it's true. We talk about it with the Bills, man. You can't continue to give the other team the ball, especially in the National Football League. These people are professionals. That means they are the best at their job. And you keep giving someone that is the best of what they do more opportunities than you, you're ultimately going to lose. And that's what the the Jaguars turn the ball over way too much. That's Trevor Lawrence thing. That's just a, a team thing. And if it continues to do that, I don't care. Again, this team is good enough to win a Super Bowl. The issue is if they continue to turn the ball over, they will not. Trust me, they won't. Now, I understand that it's you're going up against arguably one of the best defenses in football in the 49ers that's motivated after losing three straight and coming off a bye week, but you still can't turn the ball over as much as you did And how you were shut out the entire second half. You only scored three points. With the offense that this team has, being held to three points is crazy. But I also see they had what three, four turnovers? That's 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 going to lose you games, especially against a Super Bowl caliber team. So uh let's move forward, man. I also want to give a shout out to Joshua Dobbs and the Vikings for beating the Saints twenty-seven to nineteen. Excuse me, the Saints for be, the Vikings for being the Saints 27 to 19, man. Joshua Dobbs is showing you the importance of professionalism and the, the importance of taking your craft seriously. Joshua Dobbs, in no way, shape or form, is a world beater at the quarterback position, is a franchise changer at the quarterback position. He has been a glorified backup majority of his career but one thing that a lot of people don't take into consideration is how important it is to just be ready and how important it is to when you're called upon when your number is called you're able to answer the call that's why you see people that have been like backups that have been in the league for 10-15 years because they have shown time and time again that they're ready for the moment. And, and ready for the moment for backups is not the same for ready for the moment for starters. Like As a backup, you're not expected to lead the franchise new heights. You're expected to keep the franchise afloat until the, back, the starter gets back. Well, Joshua Dobbs has come in, and he has changed the complexion, and he has changed the feel of this Minnesota Vikings team. You're going up against the New Orleans Saints, a really good defense. Now, yes, the Derek Carr did get hurt midway through the midway through the game. You had to bring in uh, Jameis Winston, who, f- for his credit, was was as good as we expected. I mean, he threw 122 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That's that's Jameis Winston in a nutshell. But this is. This is all on Joshua Dobbs, man. He threw 268 yards, one touchdown. He just he just brings an energy, brings a different energy to this Vikings team that we were looking up, and they were ready to get off of Kirk Cousins. They were ready to get off the coach. They were ready to get off damn near everyone because they were just that bad. Now you're looking as they have new life. They now are possibly a, a playoff team, and and a lot of that is because of just the professionalism and, and Joshua Dobbs being ready and being incredible. So shouts out to him and shouts out to the Vikings for beating the Saints, 19 or 27 to 19. I talked about Josh. Josh Allen. Damn, it really do seem like I'm piling on the bills this episode. I talked about Josh Allen, and I said that I was going to discuss when the quarter when there are external factors outside the quarterback that is the reason for a team's uh, demise or a reason for a team's regression. I was solely talking about. Justin Herbert and the Chargers. I have been uberly critical. Not Uber. I have been very critical of Justin Herbert and his lack of success with the LA Chargers. Now, one of the biggest reasons why I've been uberly critical of Justin Herbert is because of how talented Justin Herbert is. And how The talent that Justin Herbert has hasn't matched the success or lack thereof from Justin Herbert. And that goes all the way back to college in Oregon. So. I have been very critical, but I have been very. What's the word? I've been very consistent in saying that it's not just Justin Herbert. And Justin Herbert is not the problem. He just has not been the solution. And when you pay Justin Herbert as much money as they're paying Justin Herbert, you expect him to be the solution. The Lions beat the Chargers 41 to 38. It was a back and forth affair. And Justin Herbert, Jared Goff was incredible. Uh, 23 for 33. 333 yards, two touchdowns. Justin Herbert, 27 for 40, yards, four touchdowns, one interception. This was a back and forth game. Austin Eckler had a touchdown. Uh Jameer Gibbs had two touchdowns. David Montgomery had one. Ama St. Brown had one. He had eight receptions for 156 yards. You going crazy. But this was a back and forth game throughout the entire game. And what's crazy is the same feeling that I had when they had when CJ Stroud in the Houston Texans, CJ Stroud had like a minute and 30 seconds left and against the chart against the Bengals and ultimately won and the feeling that I had was you gave too much time for CJ Stroud. And ultimately, the Texans won. I never had that feeling for the Chargers. <laughs> I never had that feeling for the Chargers. Even when it was going back and forth, I all I kept saying was the Chargers going to lose this game once. I said this. I said this out loud. Every single time they scored, every single time Keenan Allen went crazy, he had 11 receptions for 172 yards, two touchdowns. Every single time the Chargers would score, take the lead, I say, "Yo, the Chargers are still going to lose this game. Watch. And what do you know? Jarrett Goff and the Lions in this running game and Dan Campbell, they did what they had to do and ultimately won the game at the end. With a last second field goal. I am not one to usually call for a coach's job. I, I Because I am one of the people that faithfully say coaches don't play. The players do. And the coaches aren't the one that has the jerseys. The pads, the, you know, headbands, it's the players. And the players have to go out and execute If they don't execute, that's not on the coach. I have been very religious in saying that. But when a coach gets to a team or when... You see the talent, but everything around the talent continues to regress. Then you have to look at the coach. Like the fact that you have Khalil Mack and you have Joey Bosa, but this is one of the worst defenses in football. Or the fact that you have Justin Herbert, you have Austin Eckler, you have Keenan Allen, you have, even though he's injured, uh, Mike Williams, you have Derwin James, you have... uh, Jared uh, Gerald Everett, you have these players, yet and still, you're four and five. And I And I said this last episode, I said, if they can't beat the Lions, I don't think they're a playoff team. I think the Chargers, with as much talent as they have, are probably going to miss the playoffs. And if they don't miss the playoffs, they're not making a deep playoff run. It might be wild card and done, possibly. And when you're in the same division as Kansas City, yeah, nah. Nah. I think Brandon Staley has continuously failed this team. Whether we talk about the late game blunders, late game decision making that is just that puts your team in a bad position, the fact of this defense, which Brandon Staley is supposed to be a... This defense has regressed, even with the players that it has. The fact of you have someone as good as Josh Allen. I mean, you know, jo, uh, Justin Herbert, and who continues to pump out games with astronomical numbers. Bruh, if you heard that Josh or Justin Herbert threw 323 yards, four touchdowns, you would think, oh, easy win. They lost. Especially when Jared Goff only threw two touchdowns. And yes, he did have 333 yards, but he threw two touchdowns compared to Justin Herbert, who threw four. And they lost. I still stand on the fact that Justin Herbert has been the... He hasn't been the problem, but he hasn't been the solution. But I also understand the fact of there are times when you're not as big... Or your talent doesn't supersede everything that goes on with you. That's the same thing we talked about with uh, Damian Lillard for the longest in Portland. Damian Lillard's talent. They thought his talent was supposed to supersede all the issues that the team had. That's another team also that we can talk about the whole too late to pivot, but. And, and Damian Lillard's talent Would get you to the playoffs It got you maybe a second round It got you to a conference finals once But His talent Couldn't mat- Blanket everything And that's what we're seeing with Justin Herbert So Shouts out to the Lions for beating the Chargers 41-38 to 38. <sighs> Yo, the Cowboys make it a concerted effort to take the Giants behind the woodshed every single time. They beat the Giants 49 to 17. Like, I know a lot of chatter is goddamn. Yo, Dak Prescott threw for 404 yards, four touchdowns. CD D. Lamb, for Brandon Cooks, who's been quiet all year has a 100, had nine receptions for 173 yards. CeeDee Lamb had 11 receptions for 151 yards. I'm not taking much out of this game, seeing as though Tommy DeVito finished the game from start to finish with 86 yards. Two touchdowns, one interception. Saquon Barkley only had 13 carries for 66 yards. That's crazy. But, um... Yeah, I'm not taking much from this game. The Cowboys do this all the time. They beat on inferior teams, which they're supposed to. So I'm not. I'm not saying that's a, as like a problem. You're supposed to beat teams that you're better than, and they continue to do that. Uh, so shouts out to the Cowboys. I know there has been conversation of is CD. I think CD Lamb came out and said that he is like the best wide receiver in the league. No. <laughs> he's been good and don't get me wrong he has a talent to be a top three or a top four, five wide receiver but i'm not picking him over jamar chase i'm not picking him over justin jefferson i'm probably not picking him over cooper cup i'm not picking him over hmm. who else uh, Devonte adams i'm not in fact I'm not picking him over. Let's let, let's let's look at a couple names. Uh Tyreek Hill. I'm not picking him over Stefan Diggs. I'm not picking him over. Hmm. Mm. That might be it. No. Yeah, that might be it. So let's say I have before I get to CeeDee Lamb, I have in no particular order. Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Jamar Chase, um, Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, that might be it. Nope, Mike Evans, That might be it. I know Amar, Amara St. Brown is good, but C. D. Lamb is tough. Oh, A.J. Brown. <laughs> I forgot about A.J. A.J. Brown. Uh, no, I'm not going to put. I think I'm going to pick CeeDee Lamb over Terry McLaurin, even though I think that's close. So, yeah, I think at this very moment, he is a top 10 quarterback. But uh, I wouldn't pick him number one. But he has been hooping these last uh, few games. So, shouts out to the Cowboys and CeeDee Lamb. So. The Seahawks beat the Commanders 29-26. to 26. Sam Howe had a hell of a day, bro. 312 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Even though you know GL Smith had three hundred and sixty-nine yards, two touchdowns. Damn. This game left me speechless and I still I don't know, man. Brian Robinson has six receptions for six hundred I mean no one hundred and nineteen yards? Lord I don't know man Um, I will say this It is Very unfortunate that You know what makes, makes These losses worse for Washington The Sound bites that come at the end of the game And When you hear When you hear Ron Rivera say that He didn't Go for two because it would have gave them too much time when they would have had the same amount of time if you would have went for two compared to going for one. And the fact of when they scored, when Washington scored and there was like a minute left, I had all the faith in the world. Actually, I knew that the Seahawks were going to win the game There was not an ounce in me That thought Washington was going to send this Into overtime I was like Yeah Seahawks won this game And lo and behold But hey man shout out to the Seahawks They're 6-3 and three at this point That man said Bruh uh, Oh man I just That man said That would have gave the Seahawks Too much time If you would have went for two Instead of going for one And they would have had the same amount of time If you would have went for two In fact, they actually might have had less time Because you're calling for two Shouts out to the Seahawks, man uh, Kyler Murray beat the Falcons twi- Well, no the Cardinals beat the Falcons twenty five to twenty three. Kyler Murray looked pretty good in his return, man. Two hundred and forty nine yards, even though he didn't have a touchdown, or at least passing touchdown. He did have a rushing touchdown. He he looked good, man. It, to come back from a ACL injury was was and he looked that good. I'm not saying that this is gonna change the fortunes or the trajectory of the Cardinals, at least this season. But what I will say is This might affect what happens in the draft as far as, because I know that a lot of people were talking about how the Cardinals were probably thinking about getting off of Kyler Murray. Well, if you play this well, especially coming off of injury, you know, they might change your mind. Now, again, you are going against the Falcons, and their two quarterbacks combined, Tyler Heineke and, or Taylor Heineke, I'm sorry, and Desmond Ritter, combined for less than 100 100 yards Uh, and B. John Robinson actually had more wow B. John Robinson had more yards carrying the ball than both quarterbacks had passing the ball combined look at that um so of course you're not really playing the best team but Kyler Murray did look good and I will give him praise for that man shouts out to the cardinals for beating the falcons 25 to 23 yet another game where jordan love did not look good at the end jordan you know what jordan love jordan love be putting up some empty calorie stats bro he 289 yards two touchdowns two interceptions one of the interceptions was the game ending interception the steelers beat the Packers 23 to 19. The Steelers is the first team in NFL history to be outgained in every single game that they've played in this season and they're 6 and 3. They have the same exact record as the the Jaguars, they have the same exact record as the 49ers. it's crazy. And again, if they started now, if the playoffs started now, that the the pittsburgh steelers that has a terrible offense would be in the playoffs and jordan love man jordan love be putting up some look kenny pickett threw for 126 yards zero touchdowns zero interceptions thank god for Najee harris and Jalen warren like jesus and the defense of course but uh yeah man jordan love keeps having these games where he puts up a bunch of points but when they need or a bunch of passing yards But when they need him the most It's uh, curtains So shouts out to the Pittsburgh Steelers For beating the um, Who'd they just beat? Who'd they just beat? Pittsburgh Steelers for beating Or no Yeah, beating the Green Bay Packers Also want to give a shout out to Baker Mayfield And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers For beating the Titans 20-6 to th- to me, again, you need to, we. I think people crowned Will Levis. I think Will Levis earned the right to be the starting quarterback for the rest of the year. But to be a franchise quarterback, I don't. I don't know. He had, no. Did you should beat the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield, two hundred and seventy eight yards, two touchdowns, one interception. You should beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and. The Tennessee Titans look like the Tennessee Titans that we've seen all year, even with Ryan Tannehill. So, shouts out to the Bucks for beating the Titans. And I'm not going to say on this game for long, this game was trash. The the Raiders beat the Jets 16-12. I will say, shout out to Antonio Pierce, man. <clears throat> there is something to be said when players play for a coach that they want to play for and what players like playing for a coach you know it, it just it it just feels different it feels different when the players want to play for you. you you see how drastically different this Raiders team looks with Antonio Pierce as their coach and how they looked with Josh McDaniels and, of course, when you hear reports about everything that happened towards the end of Josh McDaniel's Raiders tenured, it just, this team just looks like it's new, there's new life to it. Now, no, I don't think that they're world beaters now. I don't think that they're Super Bowl contenders. I probably don't even think they're going to make the playoffs, especially when you have Aiden O'Connell as your starting quarterback. But, yeah, man, it it's looked good. It looks really good, and this Raiders team, they just Josh Jacobs looks much better. Uh, he what did he do this game? Josh Jacobs had 27 carries for 116 yards. Like, it looks good, it just looks good, man. And I'm not gonna kill Zach Wilson either, he didn't look good, but I don't know what you I don't. I don't expect much greatness from Josh or from Zach Wilson at this time. Especially after everything that I've seen, uh, he had 263 yards. Great. So but shouts out to the Raiders and shouts out to Antonio Pierce. He's been a, the team just wants to play for him. It kind of feels like when Jeff Saturday for oh hear me out, when Jeff Saturday was the head coach for the Colts, and they won their first game. And how there was such a high and such a momentum build. And, of course, they lost every game after that. But it just feels like the Raiders want to play for Antonio Pierce. And they just – there's just a new – there's a new vigor that's going around this Raiders team. So – and, of course, Antonio Pierce is 2-0 as a head coach now. So, shout out to them. Let's move off of football, man. Uh – The Clippers are struggling. The Clippers with James Harden is 0-4, 0-5 right now. Actually, as we're recording, there's their 0-4, but they play the Nuggets tonight. So I'm going to assume they're (laughs) 0-5. And when you acquire somebody like James Harden, you... And you start off one and oh and five or and four, you have to there there someone has to cast the blame. Someone has to be like, why are they struggling? Right. And I talked about this when the trade happened and people called me crazy. This was going to affect Russell Westbrook the most. And at this point of their careers, James Harden and Russell Westbrook are not compatible being on the same floor as each other. And it's not because they're not good. You know what it is? This trade is. How do I express it? The word that you heard a lot with this trade was sacrifice. And how important it was, and how important it was going to be moving forward with James Harden on the team now. How important the word sacrifice was for this Clippers team. And and it's true. Sacrifice is the name of the game. When you have a super team. When you have the title of a super team, The one thing that does not get made public or not public, the one thing that isn't talked about or isn't glamorized is sacrifice. I always, even though people say I go back to it a lot, but that is the most recent success of a super team is the Golden State Warriors. One thing that isn't talked about as much is the fact that Steph Curry and... Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Andre Godala, all their big names had to sacrifice because if it didn't, there's a reason why when people talk about super teams and people talk about stars coming together, there's a reason why they say that there's one ball because a lot of players aren't used to the sacrifice. We're going to talk about Jordan Poole in a second. Players aren't used to the sacrifice. And the word sacrifice sounds good. The word sacrifice sounds sounds honorable. It sounds like you know what it takes and you are going to do whatever it takes to win. That's what the word sacrifice sounds like. But what does it look like? And are you really up for that challenge? Because it's a challenge to sacrifice. Are you really up for that? Do you know what sacrifice really is? We we learn that a lot in situations like this. Do you know what sacrifice is? Because this sounds good, but do you know what it is? And as we've seen, at least in five games, there has not been much sacrifice. I'll say it like this. A lot of people want to blame James Harden all for the team looking as bad as looked when they acquired him. And what you're seeing is there's a couple of things you're seeing actually. You're seeing people that are scared to step on each other's toes. James Harden's scared to mess up what's going on. Russell Westbrook's trying to figure out what the hell he's gonna do and and how he's gonna fit. Paul George is kind of taking a back seat to try to help at ad- integrate or intr trying to help James Harden acclimate with the team. Uh, Kawhi Leonard taking a back seat, but. The issue with that is you're asking players that aren't used to taking back seats. So now you have Paul George who can't shoot to save his life right now, as well as Kawhi Leonard. And James Harden can't do this. can't shoot to save his life either right now, and he holds the ball a lot. And then you have Russell Westbrook being Russell Westbrook. What does sacrifice look like for this team? It has already been proven that James Harden and Russell Westbrook cannot play on the same floor, at least for extended periods of time. Not because they're not good players, but because of their faults more than their strengths. James Harden, one of his biggest faults, and it has been like this his entire career, is he is not a good defender. And then you have Russell Westbrook, who isn't a good defender either, but at least he tries. So now you have two players that aren't good defenders on the team or on the floor at the same time. Now you have, and then you're going up against bigger teams, and you're sliding. Now Zo- now Mason Plumlee being out was huge, but you're sliding Kawhi down to the four. While he has a speed advantage, he has a, size disadvantage and you're you're now Paul George who was getting a healthy dose of getting guards on him now you have forwards so now you have someone like a LeBron James someone like a Kevin Durant someone like a Zion Williamson someone like a, 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 a Jason Tatum someone like a Andrew Wiggins a bigger frame is now on you so that, it, that, that one of the biggest reasons why they can't shoot right now is because they're just getting worn down. Which, is, what does sacrifice look like? I would say James Harden has to come off the bench because the Clippers looked a lot better with a uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Russell Westbrook lineup, and of course you incorporate James Harden into it. Another thing that I'm noticing. Shouts out to the Gilbert Arenas podcast because he pointed out as well. But shout one thing that I'm noticing. Positions were made. Right. Positions in basketball was made so a novice can follow the game. That's the saying. So. It helps you better understand the game if you put positions on a player. So if you look at a Steph Curry, you look at a Chris Paul, you look at a Kyrie and say that is a point guard. You look at a Clay Thompson, you look at a James Harden, you look at a Jalen Brown, you say that is a shooting guard. Kevin Durant, uh, LeBron James, that is a small forward. Anthony Davis, Zion Williamson that is a power forward and then of course you have Rudy Gobert and Joel B Nicole Jokic that is a center. It helps people to understand the game much better. But it, it it also means something. And what I mean by that is one another reason why this hasn't worked is because and I'm solely looking at James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They have not accepted their titles. Meaning, somebody, and, and again, shout out to the Gilbert Arenas podcast. He said it very eloquently, and he laid it out much better than I'm probably going to lay it out. One of them has to, both of them, James Harden and Russell Westbrook, are trying to be the point guards. Both of them are trying to create offense. Both of them are trying to take the ball up the court. Both of them are trying to lead the 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 charge. Well, what that means is it leaves a position vacant. And and let me explain. It leaves the shooting guard position vacant. Meaning somebody has to take the role of the shooting guard. Let me let me talk about a better team. Let's talk about the Boston Celtics with Drew Holiday coming in. They've it seemed one of the biggest reasons why they're rolling is because they've accepted their positions. Now I'm not saying that Jalen Brown can't or doesn't take the ball up the court from time to time, but the primary point guard is Drew Holiday. And as we've seen this year, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have taken a step back as far as initiating the offense. They still do, but not as much as they've used to because they have a definitive point guard in Drew Holiday. And Jalen Brown has taken more of a shooting guard approach, meaning he's more of a catch and shoot player now or I don't need to, you know, Break down or bing, 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 bing somebody like if I don't have a shot or if I don't have a lane, kick it out. When James Harden touches the ball, he still has that point guard mentality. As far as touch, let me get the ball and let me create something for somebody else. Let me create something for the offense. Well, so does Russell Westbrook. I Meaning, they do not have a player that is just so mindset is shoot. Now, you don't want it to be Russell Westbrook because he has, for his entire career, he has not been able to shoot. But James Harden hasn't accepted the role that you are not yet. Yeah, either you're going to come off the bench, or if you're going to start Jay, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. James Harden has to be the de facto point shooting guard. You don't need the ball in your hands as much to be effective, especially seeing as you're the one that can shoot. This trade, at least for right now, because I think that it can get turned around. I don't know if it will. It could. But the only way that it's going to get turned around is if you understand, if the word sacrifice isn't the only thing that's getting tossed around here. (laughs) That is a crazy sentence. (laughs) Yo. (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. Pause, man. (laughs) Damn, that's a crazy sentence. My fault, y'all. Damn. No, but what I mean is uh, you actually sacrifice instead of just saying it. Because you're going to look up and this is this is the fear and this is the danger of building a super team or a team just full of talent because not all the time. There's, there's been instances where the talent don't blend, don't mix. And then you get, at least for right now, what we're seeing with this Clippers team. So we'll see. I want to stay on this very quickly could we the unpopular topic of the day that is actually going to be a non sports topic today but uh the wizards i don't expect the wizards to be good i knew what would, what it was coming into the season when you trade bradley bill you trade kristos Porzingis you get back the pieces that you get back i know that they're they're not they're not destined for wins this year and they're actively trying to acquire draft picks and stuff and they're trying to tank so in no way shape or form do I expect the Wizards to win every game in no way shape or form do I expect the Wizards to really even be that good but what I will say and what I will highlight is Jordan Poole. And Jordan Poole is the prime example of how difficult it is to be not only the face of a franchise, but the leader of a franchise. Because you think you may want something until you get it and you realize, oh, I don't think I was ready for this. Coming into this season, I thought that Jordan Poole was going to have the ultimate green light, which if you look at Wizards games, he does. And I thought that Jordan Poole, at least scoring-wise, especially what we saw at his height in Golden State, I thought that he was good enough to at least average 25, 26 points. I know that's a lot, but Jordan Poole has shown the ability and shown the volume of which that he shoots the ball that he could do that. Well, as we sit here today, as Jordan Poole being the face of the Washington Wizards, he is the Washington Wizards, quote unquote, his team. He is averaging sixteen point sixteen point two points, 16.2 points, which is 63rd. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's 69th in the NBA. He's averaging 3.7 assists, which is tied for sixth. In the league, only three. That's crazy. Hold on. What? And he's shooting 41.2. He's shooting a field goal percentage of 41.2, which is 125th in the league. Jordan, there's been multiple clips of Jordan Poole just not looking engaged or just just doing bonehead things and of course, you get time. You you want to give people time to grow. But this, I am highlighting how difficult it is to be the face of a franchise. Not only do you have to have the talent, you have to have the maturity. And it seems like that Jordan Poole is lacking both right now. Now, again, I don't expect the Wizards to be good. I don't expect the Wizards to be... be You know, playoff caliber this year. But there have been multiple games this year where they've had 20 or high double-digit leads, like 20, 15, 18. And they've lost all those games. Not all of them. They've lost three of them. And Jordan Poole has been awful. He's been more of a meme Than the face of a franchise this season. So. Yeah. As a Wizards fan. I'm just like you know what I'm saying. Lastly before we go. The unpopular topic of the day. And I wanted to end. On a non sports topic. I haven't really hit one of those in a while. And my, my two non-sports topics that I've talked about already is Drake's album and Offset and the stack, the, the, where rap is right now, the, st- the state of rap. And talking about the state of rap, now I did this a while ago, but I wanted to talk about the state of Marvel. And how Marvel has been under fire for brick right now. Uh, the Miss Marvels, which I am s- supposed to see tomorrow, Miss Marvels debuted as like Marvel's lowest box office movie. Now I don't take much into that because people don't really like support like sup- like to support women's leads in movies when i mean you saw black widow people were you saw the rotten tomato comments before the movie even came out Now i'm not saying it was the greatest but when it's a a woman charged movie a lot of people don't like to support it that's just That's just God. That's the God honest truth. You see that in every aspect of life, whether in sports, whether it's WNBA, people still struggle to support it, even though that it's, it's growing in popularity. It's still nowhere close to the NBA or, or a male dominated sport. Same thing as college basketball, even though again, that is on the rise. It's nowhere close to, you know, men's college basketball as far as viewership and support. So, I'm not going to look at Miss Marvel as the low box office, like the lowest in Marvel history. I'm not going to look at it. Let me say it like this. I'm not going to put it solely on the women. I think I know. No. So a lot of people are, are attributing low sales and, and low viewership for a lot of the Marvel movies after Endgame and a lot of Marvel products after Endgame because of fatigue, superhero fatigue. And I will acknowledge and I will state for the fact that there has been a writer strike. And a writer strike has affected the, the recent releases of a lot of things. and while there is some truth to superhero fatigue cuz there's there's a lot of, of stuff marvel has whether that's loki which was really good in my opinion uh you have the winter soldier and uh captain captain america like the 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 show secret invasion and captain marvel and she-hawk and then you have ant-man and Spider Man's and stuff like that. I do think that there is a superhero fatigue, but I also think, and trust me, I'm not, you can tell, there has been a Call of Duty like approach to Marvel ever since Endgame. And what I mean by Call of Duty like, it's Call of Duty continues to put out games year after year after year after year. And kind of like 2K as well, and I feel like the quality of the games continue to go down because at this point, you're not really putting it out to make the best game. You're putting it out to make the most money because you know that people are going to buy it, so like Modern Warfare 3 is pretty much a glorified $70 DLC game that that was originally supposed to be DLC for Modern Warfare 2, but... Because they understand how much money that Modern Warfare and Call of Duty itself makes, they made it as a game and they're racking up, even though the game and everyone that's by the game is pretty much saying, yo, this is just a glorified DLC. But I, th- I think that people aren't taking, or the cre- creators of this stuff, or of Marvel and these superhero shows and stuff, they're and I've kind of felt this for a while now. They've they're banking on the success of the old. And they're banking on their success with Iron Man and and Captain America with Chris Evans and Thor and the Avengers Endgame and the Avengers Infinity Wars and Age of Ultron. They're banking on that success and expecting the viewer to continue to give them the benefit of the doubt and continue to give them the okay well that movie wasn't that good but these are the same people that made the avengers so they're just they're going to make the next the next one's going to be good i just feel like they haven't cared about the pro, the product as much as, or about the experience as much as the money that they're making Now, I understand that it's still a business and you got to make money, but you're pumping out movie after movie after movie and not letting them live. And now you're in a situation with the whole Jonathan Majors thing. So what are you going to do with Kang? Looks like they're scrapping that. And now that you're feeling such a. A weight on the shoulders of your next few movies and your last few have been not that good. It's like, okay. Let's see if we can bring back Characters that are dead in the, in the franchise It's just a lot I think Marvel Studios Would benefit greatly If they did the same thing I think that 2K should do The same thing that I think that Call of Duty should do is Maybe take a year or two off and really develop your stuff and really figure out figure out what made your stuff what made your product so great outside of, of course, the actors because the actors were pretty good but what made your stuff so great and try to get back there because where you're at now There's only so much mid you can put out before people, before you lose the consumer. And I'm not saying that Miss Marvel's is mid because I have not seen it yet. But then you get to a point where you have low sales and your people are now starting to, you're starting to become a punchline. When we talk about Ant-Man and we talk about uh, Thor Love and Thunder and these are complete misses. So now it's tainting and tarnishing what you've built so now marvel studios is like no one expects greatness coming from you anymore you know that feeling that you had going into endgame or going into infinity wars or or that feeling that i had watching captain america civil war or uh, winter soldier you don't get that feeling anymore and I feel if you take a year or two off, really develop your movies, trust me, the consumer's still gonna be there. And they actually may be even more anticipatory because they understand that you took some time and really cultivated this. Instead of just keep doing what Call of Duty does and doing what NBA 2K does and Madden. Pump it out year after year after year after year after year. And because you don't give the writers much time, because you don't give the special effects people much time, because you don't give the actors much time, you're getting half ass product that you're giving to the world, which ultimately is tarnishing what you're doing. So take some time off, man. Now, me, I'm a Marvel fan. I'm still going to watch. But trust me, as a Marvel fan. And as a superhero fan, I've watched damn near every single superhero movie, whether that's Marvel, whether that's DC. I just like those type of movies. I but I'm not I don't remember the last time the last time I really enjoyed a superhero movie is probably across the Spider-Verse. That is probably one of my I've watched that like four times now, (laughs) and that's probably one of my favorite movies like ever. 'Cause they put so much detail into that. But if we're talking about live action, probably uh was it No Way Home, Spider Man was the last movie I like really thoroughly enjoyed. There were aspects of uh Black Panther or Wakanda Forever, but I, I kinda understand what they were doing there. Uh didn't I did not like Love and Thunder at all, even though I did like Christian Bale as uh the God butcher. I loved how he portrayed the character, but that that movie was not good. Ant-Man, the only part I liked was Kang. He don't look like he gonna be there no more. Uh, yeah. Take some time off, Marvel. Get back to the roots. Because right now, what you're putting out this hasn't been the best. Now, I'll support because I like Marvel movies and I like movie, superhero movies in general, but I'm just... Trust me, if I'm feeling this, imagine what a super fan is feeling or imagine what a casual fan is feeling that they don't really have no ties to you. So why would they continue to support Marvel Studios when they keep putting out stuff like Secret Invasion? So and there you have it. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular the Podcast. I truly appreciate you guys. Um, if you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below at multiple different colors, multiple different designs, get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the ins- YouTube. Please subscribe to whoever you're listening. I'm trying to get as much followers as I can and subscribers as I can. And it definitely, definitely means a lot. Tell a friend, to tell a friend, to tell a friend, keep pumping out content. You guys keep commenting. So I appreciate you guys. Also follow the socials, follow Instagram, follow TikTok. I post there pretty much daily as well and if you really want to connect with me, that's probably the quickest way to to do that is follow me on there and you know comment under the comment your opinions and comment what you feel, send me a DM. I'll probably respond. Just keep it respectful and I'll probably respond, but uh yeah, man. Until next time. Much love. <laughs>